Step right up, ladies and gentlemen and genders of all ranges, and welcome to the Art Pit. Conducted by the Jeremys, a pair of purveyors of fine art and oddities via the best damn dark gallery this side of Long Beach, the Dark Art Emporium. Listen in wonder as we jibber-jabber about all things art, music, movies, and whatever other jive we decide to mosh together. Faint of heart, beware, and welcome to the Art Pit. Yeah, we are. Welcome to the Art Pit here at the Dark Art Emporium. I am Jeremy Cross. Here, as always, is the illustrious Jeremy Schott. Hi, Jeremy. Hey. And today we are welcoming a guest of some honor, some some great honor indeed, uh, a very dear and close friend of mine for way longer than I want to admit to, um, Mr. John Davies. How are you doing today, sir? 40 years yeah, plus. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, John has recently uh, published a book that has been his entire fucking life in the making, um, titled Jesus Died for All Spiders. Um, It is a surrealistic memoir? I don't know. The subtitle is A Memoir of Faith, Excess, Weirdness, and Redemption. But it's, it's based on your life. Yeah. But, you know, some liberties taken, or no, just pretty much... Try to try to be as uh, as straightforward as possible. Well, it's written in a heightened style that I picked up from uh, the Beats, like uh, Burroughs in particular. Um, so but, you, you cut it up and threw it on the ground and put it back yeah. together. <laughs> Parts of it, <laughs> but it, you know, essentially, it, it is truthful. It's my life. Yeah. So Johnny and I uh, grew up in um, the best part of California, truly the, the butthole gym of the state, Bakersfield. Um, like you said, we've known each other for 40 years, which just seems stupid. Um, but because of that, uh, I, I was privileged to be present in real life for a good number of these stories uh, and, and certainly timelines that exist in this book. Um, giving me uh, uh, both a uh, nostalgic um, aneurysm, yeah. as 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 well as uh, you know some some memories that uh, you know I probably would have forgotten about had you not been thoughtful enough to to remember them and write them down. Uh, nostalgic aneurysm is a good term for it. Um, I'll, I'll kind of give like the the background a little bit here uh, momentarily, but writing it, you know, I, I've. Uh, express myself through writing my entire life from like fifth grade on. Um, but getting close to 50 and uh, having uh, nearly died in uh, an insane car accident. Which we are definitely going to talk about. Um, I uh, realized that I had more adventures than I thought, uh, largely due to alcoholism and drug use. <laughs> but uh, that has it. Very serious drawbacks, but it'll give you some adventures. Sure. Yep. Yep. Uh, most of them uh, don't always end well. Uh, yeah. But there's definitely some that do. But, you know, that is what it is. I guess that's the odds, right? Well, I've been sober for three years now. Right. And the aforementioned car accident has something to do with that. Right. So why, why besides the fact that you're my friend, um, why would I have you on the Art Pit podcast for the Dark Art Emporium? Well, 
Um, we are lovers of art of all kinds, shapes, and sizes. We have always had a really cool and extensive library of books that we love that we sell here. And uh, I was really excited, not just because you, you finished this book, but because I was in a, a wonderful position now in my life to be able to have your book for sale in my establishment. And that, that, that synergy uh, made me giddy as hell. Um, and so I wanted to get you on here so that we could talk about it so that people could have some understanding of why that book um, existed here at the Dark Art Emporium and why they need to get their asses down here and buy it. Yeah, our mutual artistic evolution goes back um, to uh, childhood. Um, we share many of the same interests. Um, Batman. And, and <laughs> Batman <laughs> is a big one. There's, uh, yeah, there's a chapter about that. Susie. Uh, <laughs> Susie Sue. Um, you know, like I was talking about the beats, and uh, we discovered a lot of that shit roughly contemporaneously. Um, Definitely. And have attempted to get something off the ground artistically, separately and together at different times throughout our life. Yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've even published uh, before to some extremely minor extent. Yeah, when everybody had uh, an arts zine, we had one in Northern California called um, Dialectic. Dialectic. <laughs> <laughs> I still was... remember the cover with the, with the Jesus on it, which uh, kind of makes sense. Like... Yeah, it was Jesus wearing a bad religion t-shirt, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that also goes to our uh, uh, half simpatico, half, uh, what would you say, not... Um, anti, but um, our dialectic. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a, you know, a weird, progressive, uh, liberal, queer, goth uh, Christian. Right. Um, and uh, you and I, I'm not a Christian. You left all that behind a long time ago, <laughs> although we met in church. Yeah, we did. Um, yep. We've both gone very far from the church that we were raised in. Thank God. <laughs> but I... I, I still landed in a church. Um, I uh, attend the Episcopalian church, which is the best kept secret in Christendom because it's <laughs> high church like Catholicism, uh, but completely uh, pro-gay, pro-LGBTQ, pro-trans, pro-women's rights. Even social, in Bakersfield. Social justice. There was a split in the church in Bakersfield over that. Really? Uh, and the church that I went into, which remained Episcopalian, um, has a gay priest. Um, priests can fuck in our church. Hell yeah! Not in our church. Like like like, <laughs> like it's a show. <laughs> I might go to church, right? <laughs> like, um, and, and you know, we're going to reference Bakersfield probably a lot during this podcast. So uh, it probably you know bears some explanation um, as to what that place is and, and why it plays such a, really, it's a character role in our story, in the story of our lives. Um, you might think that because it is a city in California that it has all of the trappings that you expect from places like San Francisco and Los Angeles and that it would be very liberal and, you know, snowflakey and all those things that some people think about California, you know, uh, but it is in the dead center of California isolated by mountains and valleys from all of the cool places in California. Um, and 
partly because it's a big agricultural town and partly because of the isolation and partly because of where those people immigrated from, uh, in, you know, in like the Midwest and the South, um, it is an extremely conservative, very, and I, you know, I'm sure it's changed since I left, you know, decades ago, but probably it has. not. Yeah. Uh, but back, back when we were growing up there, it was extremely backwards, very racist, very homophobic, um, really just, uh, you know, all, all of the worst parts of humanity put on display without shame. It was Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. exactly what it was. It was Texas. Yeah. Yeah, Texas. yeah. Where I'm from. Well, like Orange County, um, which if you're familiar with Southern California um, at all, or if you live in L.A., um, I think you would get the comparison. Um, there's a, a culture that's extremely conservative that's never gone away. Right. Um, in the case of Kern County and Bakersfield, it's steeped in the agriculture and the oil mm. uh, business. Yep. Um, but also like Orange County, there are people who grew up there who strafe against that. And so occasionally there's exciting things that happen in the underground. Actually, um, I, would, I wouldn't even say occasionally. I think, you know, probably because we were backlashing against what we were, uh, the, the, the subculture in Bakersfield was, was, was uh, passionate. Yes, yeah. A friend of, uh, a friend of mine just um, made a documentary not long ago called Bones of Brundage about the punk scene in 90s Bakersfield. That's great, on, great documentary. On uh, Prime. Yeah. I, I, it, was, it was like going to a high school reunion watching that, that movie. Yes. Like <laughs> it would one be. that I'd actually want to attend as opposed to what my actual one would have been. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah. like, uh, so, you know, growing up there, I don't want to just spend too much time talking about it, but, uh, you know, we, we did. We had, we had punk clubs that were extremely well uh, attended because it was the only cool outsider thing to do. We had coffee houses that were like meccas of subculture and, and art and poetry uh, and community um, uh, that, that really, you know, bonded together uh, a, a, in a stance against everything else that the city stood for that we thought it stood for. Yeah, yeah and um, I'm still there. <laughs> and uh, I, I've found that for me, um, it is what you make of it. Um, I, I've become more and more of an activist there. Um, I organized the first local protest against the Trump election. Um, we had, um, you know, there are auxiliary women's marches all over the country, and ours was very well attended. It was like 20,000 people. Um, but uh, the, um, and I teach college there, and uh, I talk a little bit in the book, the um, Dolores Huerta Foundation, which is kind of really based in that area, but had been in L.A. for a while. Um, Dolores Huerta co-founded the uh, United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez. Oh, right, yeah. Has moved to Bakersfield because it, it feels like it can do more good there, like that's where it's needed. Um, so there's, uh, there's reasons to go and there's reasons to stay. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I didn't really have a, well, just reasons to go for me mostly, but yeah, I understand, I understand. Um, but. Yeah, well, not in one person necessarily, <laughs> but you had your reasons to go and I had my reasons to stay. And you didn't always stay there, let's be clear. No. You, 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 uh, you tried to escape that vortex many, many times, uh, several <laughs> times with me. Yeah. Um, you know, right. uh, during our, our, our you know, uh, some were better es escapes than others, um, but, you know. Booze and blood and semen. Dear God, all of it. 
<laughs> you know, sleeping on, on floors and alleyways just to, just to not be there, uh, which says, I guess, a lot about, you know, where you're running from and what, for what you're willing to put up with to not be there. But anyway, I, uh, I definitely digress. Enough about that. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus died for all spiders. How did you start the process for writing this book? When, when, when did the process begin and, and, and what was the catalyst? Um, well, there's really a kind of a couple of origin stories for the book. Um, like I was saying, I've expressed myself through writing my entire life and made um, uh, haphazard, half-hearted attempts to publish at different times. I have gotten little things in poetry journals and um, was big in uh, spoken word and coffee house poetry in the 90s when that was the big thing. Um, in the late 90s, right after high school, um, I began to seriously confront my sexuality. Um, and I was, uh, if this hasn't been clear already, I was raised in a, a hyper, hyper religious home. And um, people, unless you were there, uh, people forget that people just didn't come out like they did, like they do now at that time. Especially there. Especially there. Um, and so my coming out of the closet was a major paradigm shift. I was, for a time, rejected by my family. I went and lived with you. Mm -hmm. um, that whole story is in the book. Um, and through all this, because um, my... You know, religion, I was not just indoctrinated, I was very emotionally invested in my faith. Um, and so I looked for ways to um, express that faith in a way that, where I could embrace my whole self. Um, so I came across books that totally question whether the Bible even really talks about homosexuality. Uh, I came across a totally different vision of uh, Jesus who I now see is definitely not a white man <laughs> and no shit. a radical and a revolutionary and proto-socialist. Um, and churches, gay-friendly and pro-gay churches. And so I was starting to experience that, um, but also having this heavy burden from my uh, background and my family. And I came across this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God that was written in the 18th century by Jonathan Edwards. A lot of people study in American literature class where he talks about God is dangling you over the fire like a spider. He'll squash you or throw you in the fire. And um, I, because I expressed myself artistically, I wrote this long, surreal poem in answer to Jonathan Edwards called Jesus Died for All Spiders and created this uh, fictional character named Monsieur Cobweb who is the, the writer of this poem. Um, and I shared it with some friends. It's one of, the, one of the best things I had written up to that point. <clears throat> and so I started performing it in coffee houses with all my spoken word and poetry shit. And uh, some people who run a theater got a hold of it and it became a whole big show that you played at with your yeah. rock band at the time. One of my, one of my first <clears throat> bands with a terrible So that was my name. big artistic expression was <laughs> Jesus Died for All Spiders, this performance piece. Um, cut to, uh, through, through all these, uh, the years following my coming out of the closet and my religious crisis, I became a bad alcoholic. 
and uh, uh, well, I was going to say a drug addict, but that's not really true. I, I did drugs, but alcohol was my downfall. And in um, 2017, in a drunken blackout, I was ejected from a speeding convertible on the freeway and nearly died. And in the convalescence from that, I had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> And I'd always wanted to written, write something long form, so I took this concept of Jesus died for all spiders and wrote my whole life, a, a memoir, with that as the, the guiding principle. Um, so that's, that's how the book came to be. How did it change, um, besides expanding the narrative, how did it change from the original poem into the book that it is now like was there a significant shift in theme uh just uh, like i said aside from the expansion of the, of the concept like did you find yourself you know, years we're talking 15 years between the poem and then you conceptualizing the book um did you find that you you, you changed some of your ideas some of your concepts some of your themes shifting, changing, evolving? Well, I'd say the poem gives the book its spirit. Um, it's something was really awakened in me at the time that I wrote that poem, because I was trying to find myself through my sexuality, my identity, and find where my faith was in, in that. Um, so uh, that, that spirit has remained with me, and I think is there throughout the book. But the, the poem, or it's, I don't know, if it's, it's like a, a it's sort of a poem, it's like a long prose poem, um, is very angry um, and confrontational. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've gotten older and uh, um, sober now three years and reconciled all those um, parts of myself, um, found, uh, a faith that works for me that is not connected to my childhood faith. Um, I've, uh, well, it's, you know, it's like I've still, I still have that anger, but I've also softened and I've forgiven a lot of people. Um, so I connect that to some poems later in the book um, that are kind of a, an, an elegy for Jesus died for all spiders. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. That, that makes total sense. Um, I had a question that was stirring that I got lost in your answer. <laughs> oh, I know what it was. Um, so something that, you know, while we've had a lot of similarities between our lives, one of the, the real, you know, dividers uh, is, is spirituality and Christianity. Well, you very, uh, I would say very bravely, um, dove in to examine your faith uh, and really find a way to make it work for you. And I, I felt like you, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I felt like you had to do that because it was so much a part of you. It was never not going to be a part of you. So you had to figure out a way to make it work. Right. Um, whereas I just completely rejected and moved on. Um, you know, uh, so I've always been puzzled by <laughs> yeah. your, your, your faith um, and confused by it. Um, but at the same time, uh, I respected the fact that, that you, you, you put in the work in a way that I don't know most people of faith have ever put in the work to examine what they believe in. 
well, certainly the Trump-style evangelicals don't examine anything. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I can get to that maybe, but that um, the recent expressions of evangelicalism and fundamentalism, uh, Christian nationalism, um, actually in a way deepened my faith because I can see that they're saying the words, but they don't believe anything other than self-aggrandizement um, and, you know, a, a secular values, really, of capitalism, a power. Um, so the, uh, the, the contrast between that and what I see in the teachings of Christ is like, wow, if you're going to work so hard to uh, mangle something beyond recognition, there must be something you're hiding from. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty fair. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I say in the uh, preface to the book, I um, talk about this being a book about learning to celebrate one's own brand of weirdness. Um, and uh, even though I'm a person of faith, which may seem like I have this objective belief, it's really highly subjective. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, especially now on, on the other side of nearly dying i'm much more okay with people you know be, be believing or doing whatever um anti-theist atheist satanist you know like as long as like a lot of people say as long as you uh <coughs> treat yourself you know with love and respect and treat others with love and respect um, but my brand of weirdness definitely has that uh christic center that i haven't been able to get away from I, i've tried I was calling myself an atheist for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, our last podcast um, that we recorded was with TST, the Satanic Temple. Um, and, you know, one of the questions that I asked them uh, that I'll also ask you uh, in a way is, you know, you hear the Satanic Temple, you assume they believe in Satan, but, of course, the Satanic Temple is, is, is a non-theistic group, so they, they don't. Um, so why, if you're using it as a, a, an instrument for social change, social awareness, um, you know, personal growth, why use the word Satan if it's not something you actually believe in? And if you want to know the answer to that, you haven't listened to our last podcast, you should do that. But I'm going to ask you, why Christ? There was a the word sense. That, um, that you gave me. In one of our exchanges where you said you didn't understand my, my tether to Christ, and uh, um, I'm going to cop to it right now, so uh, I'm going to ask you not to sue me for copyright or anything, but I took that <laughs> word because it's such a good word um, and used it in the book. Um, yeah, right. Well, I mean, of course, you understand that as an evangelical young person, I was obsessed with um, Jesus, and I think... Um, you know, when I was early was it, on. Was it the abs? <laughs> There's a movie called Saved oh, um, yeah. about Christian high schools. I love that movie. And uh, uh, the young, really cut Patrick Fugit is on the cross, and this goth girl says, talk about hung on a cross. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I don't think it was the abs. All right, so anyway, you were saying. <laughs> um, Although I did have sex with the black Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, 
Right. Sorry, so you're still thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> Did you sidetrack yourself? Do you need a moment? <laughs> One of my ex-boyfriends, to, to give some uh, uh, color to that, um, was um, played Jesus in uh, it was Godspell. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I had sex with him that night that I saw the play. Um, totally unrelated, I, I think. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. So, so the, the, the question was. Your Christ is very separated, at least, okay, from my perspective. Your Christ is extremely separated from the Christ that we grew up understanding. And that maybe every other person that calls themselves a Christian, your Christ may be different from everybody else's. Um, So I guess the question is, A, is it a symbol? Not everybody else's. Not everybody's, but I mean, certainly... Your, your, your brand of theism is probably in the minority. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer your question. Um, I have this conversation with, I have a, a lot of friends because of the circles I run in who are um, quite uh, opposed to religion. Um, and I, I hear quite frequently that, you know, well, most Christians are this way, but you're that way. Sure. And to me, that kind of... You're, um, you're, you're one of the good ones. This is... <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, to me, that kind of presupposes that if it was out there, you would, like, passively encounter it mm. out in the world. And I just think that, you know, the evangelicals, the Republicans, part of their creed is to yell at everybody. Mm. Um, and the more liberal... Uh, progressive, social justice, uh, Christ followers, for the most part, it's, it's quite personal. And you would, um, you would have to seek it out. But as someone who sought it out, there's much more there than, than you would imagine. Um, something that's been kind of encouraging to me is going to um, bookstores and looking through the religion section there's this whole series of books from the right-wing crazy Trump people about the dangers of socialism and progressive ideas in the church. And I find that very heartening because, sure, yeah. oh, these trends in the church are threatening enough to you that you yeah. have to write books against them. <laughs> um, and but, also, isn't that like the whole basis of it? Like socialism, I mean, Jesus was... Yeah. <laughs> A socialist, pretty much, you know, yes, like it, totally. It, so he's a dirty ass hippie. Yeah, yeah. He's a filthy hippie. Yeah. Well, he's if you just use your brain and read the teachings of Christ, the the Gospels, I think that many people, you know, would see that like, how the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> the man that they follow, because uh, other than being a socialist, he's also um, very uh, symbolic in his teachings and uses metaphors and parables and riddles um, to try to get people out of their black and white thinking. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, which is not how you would think of, you know, the founder of Christianity because everything, it's, it, it's become so westernized. Yeah. And it was not a western religion in its inception. It was a, a Middle East religion. Um, Ooh, careful. Which... <laughs> 
Why? That's that's. It, it was fighting words. <laughs> Which, considering how much geography has changed, you could call it Eastern, you could call it African. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's not uh, Western in the sense that you know we think of Western religion. That all started with uh, uh, Charlemagne and then Constantine. So, your Christ to you is the Christ. It is, it, is, it is the Son of God. It is the one depicted in the Bible. It is the same person that MAGA Christians are thinking about, just he exists in a very different way for you. Or is it a symbol? That's what I was getting at. It, it's something in between. Okay. Was it's, he a man? Yeah, I mean, I, I start with... Um, the my understanding of the of the historical record um, and that's something that I've done a lot of reading on uh, recently because there's uh, a trend I think particularly in like really strongly atheist circles to suggest that um, Jesus was in, is an entire fiction that he was never a historical character um, and I mean, there's some proof that he existed to some degree, right? I would say there's significant proof that okay. he existed. If you compare it to proof that um, anybody from the ancient world existed, um, like some of the arguments that he didn't exist are compelling and have a basis, and some of them are very pick and choose. Gotcha. Um, like... He didn't write, and his immediate followers didn't write. Well, nobody in the ancient world did. Right. <laughs> um, so I accept that that he was a historical person, and where the belief starts is that there is a connection between that person and what's depicted in the Gospels. Um, um, I would. Uh, I, I would, from my looking at it, um, it seems to me like there was a significant experience that the people who followed him had that resulted in the depiction of we, that we have now as the son of God. Right. Um, that religious terminology to me is more symbolic. Um, it's more about, you know, this is the meaning system that I've chosen and I see the figure of Jesus as kind of an avatar of that meaning system. Um, but it's, it's not literal. So, so I, if, if I don't accept him as my Lord and Savior, am I going to go to hell? Does heaven and hell exist? That was I my guess. next question. You beat yeah. me to it. <laughs> uh, I don't think I can answer that. Well, I know, <laughs> I, know, I, I, know I know you, you have no clue either, but uh, well, he, in your, in you, your you, belief you, system. You were pretty close at one point. You, you might know better than some yeah, of us. Yeah, I mean. It, oh, he never said that. I, he never said that. Um, uh, for, well, first of all, he wasn't a Christian, so he certainly never no. said that being a Christian will guarantee your entrance to heaven. Sure. And the way that in um, the text that we have, the way that he's depicted as speaking about heaven and hell is totally different than anything that we would imagine. His conception of heaven was Jewish because he was Jewish. And uh, um, he spoke of uh, hell as uh, Gehenna was the term that he used. 
um, which was a. By the way, that is my favorite uh, doom metal band. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so again, are you making that up, or is that? It seems like it should it be. It probably is. Oh, no, there's <laughs> definitely one. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, that was the giant uh, trash pile on the edge of Nazareth where people Golgotha? threw their. Oh, Golgotha's the hill that he died on. All right, the Ge- shit hill, right? Gehenna yeah. was the shit hill with the bodies okay. and the shit and the trash. And um, he used that term for hell, Got it. Uh, metaphorically. Um, uh, and most of the times that he brings it up, he's talking about religious people who make people live by their rules as deserving of that shit pile. There. <laughs> so when I see, like, he's not alive anymore, but when I would watch Jerry Falwell, mm. and he would come on Politically Incorrect sometimes, yeah. And the way he walks, that fucking strut, you know, with his head up and, like, surveying the land. I think of that when it talks about Pharisees and religious leaders, I think that's, that's it. Like, How personified, the yeah. fuck does he not see that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're asking for somebody to have self-awareness that, uh, you know, is authentic. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, so the last thing before I, I finish putting the screws to you on, on religion, because uh, I, I want to get back to talking about the book, because that's why we're here. <laughs> uh, but I, I have one last Did question. Did I answer that? I think I kind of answered that you question. Did. You but, did. Yeah. So my last one is just, it's, it's, uh, it's, do you get to go to heaven? And do you believe that there is one? Uh, I, well... I hope so. Okay. I, <laughs> okay. I mean, if it exists, I hope so too. I mean, but I'm not a Christian, so I don't. I, I mean, that uh, uh, I spent, um, by the way, I'm an English teacher. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> so <laughs> the upside is um, you, don't, you don't have to worry about me running out of things to say, uh, but that's also <laughs> the downside. Um, I've read a little bit of near, near-death experiences and talked to people and like um, read about DMT and all of that and uh, I, I suspect that there's some extreme hallucinatory experience um, that happens upon death yeah that, you're right god yeah. I hope so that people so look forward to <laughs> have, who've, who've come back from it have compared to uh, heaven right um, but I also think that uh, you know we don't know what science can accomplish in the future so yeah yeah so i don't i don't think that there's an eternal life in the sense that a religious person would mean it yeah but i um in the sermon on the mount he talks about um the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven so he was very earthbound and so i try to live in such a way in in this life um that you know, I guess to be a little corny, if it, if, we, if we all were kind to each other and empathetic and had each other's best interest and were self-sacrificial, that would be heaven on earth. What, what That's a the heaven shitty, I believe What in. a shitty society we have, though, that you're like, okay, this is going to sound corny, <laughs> but, like, people could just be cool. <laughs> like, this says a lot. Um, well, that's where, you know, when uh, when I... People interrogate me about the, all the evils of religion. Uh, my answer is always that, well, people are evil. 
Yes. Any institution we are that we come up with is ultimately shitty lot. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 more in our nature than just about anything else, unfortunately. Um, all right. So, and enough about the religion. I thank you for putting yourself through that with me. And you and, know, in my favorite part of talking to a, a, a Christian who's telling us about heaven and hell and Jesus and all that is he's wearing a shirt that says damned on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's wearing, yes. wearing a shirt damned that says shirt. the damned. <laughs> like, just, I thought it was funny. Like, that, is, that, is, that is very like, appropriate. If anybody should be wearing that shirt, it's on the, this side of the table. No. Probably not the outside. I'm wearing a cannibal corpse shirt, so I, I don't know what that yeah, says. It's a damned shirt, and it has a weird S&M situation over, <laughs> yeah. over a casket. With it's devil, great. Devil I love it. And, I love yeah. it. Uh, the most confusing thing is the hot girl. I don't know. <laughs> but but the Jesus tattoo is permanent. That's right. That's right. You, you have you have some great tattoos, and almost all of them are are very powerful uh, personal uh, expressions. Not like like people like me who just get like whatever they sketched that morning tattooed on them that afternoon. Yours are some very well thought out, very powerful pieces. I remember uh, like most of them when you got them done, and you 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 had. And this is not a negative, like a diatribe about what they meant and what they were about in a good way. Yeah. So he's showing off his Jesus tattoo, you, which you is super sexy. You designed some of them. I did. Um, and um, if we haven't mentioned it already, you also uh, drew and designed an extraordinary cover for the book. I was really honored to do it, man. I really was. Well, it's perfect. It, it, sh it shows that you've known me for 40 years. Right? It's, 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 it's punk rock and goth and, and sort of like a comic book cover, and, um, which uh, leads me actually to something I, want, I, I definitely want to talk about. Um, and in the book, you have chapters dedicated to uh, pop culture figures that mean a lot to you. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, you, know you, you talk about Bono and you talk about um, Johnny Cash and Susie Sue. And what, what are some of the others that I'm, I'm missing here? Uh, well, I hope, well, the whole second chapter is about um, being uh, attracted to the goth aesthetic. Yeah. And um, which was, I think, in a way, always kind of there. But since I came out of the closet, and it's, you know, that's my, that's my jam. Um, but... It's the most goth thing anybody's ever said. <laughs> it's my jam. I'm also a Gen X. <laughs> also, I'm also a nerd. G Gen X really is is the boomer for uh, Gen Z. Um, God damn, don't say that shit. There is, well, <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't true. Just don't say uh, it. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole chapter about that called The Spider-Man Comes, which is a line from a Cure song. And I talk about how it's not uh, satanic rituals. It's not, uh, you know anything that you might imagine a goth to be. It's Johnny Cash and Batman and the Book of Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the thing that I was, uh, that I love the, the way you included those, those characters or those people in your, in, in your book is that as long as I've known you, you've examined yourself through the filter or the magnifying glass of pop culture figures that you worship. Yes. Which is very gay. Which is super fucking gay. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, the earliest ones uh, that I can recall um, were fictional. Yeah. It, it was. It was Batman. 
uh, Spider-Man, um, and Bono. All fictional characters. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, they have a little thing about uh, uh, Bono, where the first line is, Bono is the devil. So what is it, what was, okay, well, let's use Bono as an example. Uh, what was it about him that you latched onto uh, and, and that you found fascinating? And what about that fascination helped you through self-discovery? Um, well, how many of your listeners do you think we've lost just now? <laughs> Right. <laughs> I said Bono one too many times. <laughs> we can switch it to Johnny Cash if you want. Like it's they 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 they, they both work for you. So yeah. <laughs> no, I'll talk about Bono. Um, yeah, well, that's easy. Like when I was um, in junior high, like sixth grade, junior high, uh, everybody I knew was super into. Um, you too, because they were, you know, I, I went to Christian schools and they, they were a Christian band. Right. But people didn't know that. <laughs> and it was a secret. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was around uh, the time that their, possibly their best album, The Joshua Tree, came out. And right. so, like, it just, oh man, and I'm such a dork. And it just hit me on all my pleasure centers. Um, and then, it was so perfectly timed when I came out of the closet and had my big religious explosion was when they started wearing leather and acting sexy. Um, and uh, I think, you know, Acting Baby is also one of their best albums. Um, but then, like you say, I always do a deep dive. Um, so I, uh, you know, I know this is part of the reason why people hate him so much because they see him as this messiah, but the, the social interests, the social justice interests go back to when he was like 17 years old. And so from my point of view, he has a genuine social conscience. And regardless of how cringy it is, I think particularly people who know them now know them like uh, vertigo on. <laughs> and that's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's always been punk rockers who just hated the living fuck out of them. But um, so, yeah, so I love him. And I, I love everything about him that everybody hates. <laughs> I hate Bono. So the, the, oh, I, I never heard Bono. that. Never heard that before. <laughs> I hate him because he always shows up in documentaries about people I like. Oh, he's, he's in every fucking documentary he's in about ev everything. And and it sucks. Like like he like Bono. I, what the I, fuck do you know about Bukowski? You read like, a wasn't, book. Wasn't like, he just like, like a, me? Why am I getting? Wasn't he in like a Gigi Allen documentary? Yeah, he's like, in everything. So like, oh, let's talk to Hunter about Hunter S. Thompson. Well, let's talk to Bono. Like yeah. Bono. Like <laughs> fuck you, Bono. Well, you know, a lot of those people you like liked him. Yeah, probably. Fair. Fair. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't like. I don't know. Like the social, the, the social aspects, justice that he represents. Like I'm into, but his music's corny. And, and full, full, full disclosure, I, I, I loved you 2 as well growing up. It's just unfortunate that they all died in a plane crash in 1994. <laughs> and were unable to put out any more albums after yeah. that. Because, wow, what they could have done. I think it's so funny that this um, is more contentious than the religion arguments. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, this is real. <laughs> Yeah, Bono's a real man. <laughs> he, well, he's Jesus. In 2,000 years, you all have trouble proving it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never met him, so who knows? Maybe right? he's, 
Maybe he's not. He's, he's, he, if he's a figment of my imagination, shame on me. <laughs> All right. Well, so enough, enough beating up Bono. Sorry about that. I did, that's not where I expected that to go, but um, I, I really just, I, 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 I've always been fascinated by your fascination with, with pop culture icons and how they've really, I've watched you in waves having them define you in different ways. Um, so what's up with Batman? Well, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to read your book because we just decided to do this, but I know Batman's in there. So what's up with Batman? Yeah, I, I, we, yeah. well, you just got the book. Yeah, I was um, giving it to you so today. So. I'll just wait. Go ahead and read it. Read it, and then I'll call you. <laughs> just, we we'll just hit pause Batman. for a second. Because I love Batman, too. Um, oh, I don't know. It's probably very preteen. I mean, I, they had the, the 60s show was on at reruns when I was a kid, and I was just captivated by it, which is very gay as well. That show is gay as fuck. And then... Um, In the best possible way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah very gay. <laughs> what, what was that skit on Saturday Night Live that... Um, Oh, the... The animated skit. Oh, that's... Yeah, 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 where they're... they're the it, Robert Smigel. Oh, yeah. God damn it, what it was. Oh, the ambiguously gay duo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so genius. I love that. But, yeah. A lot of it is, and I loved comic books. Um, I still do. Um, but a lot of it is just so timed with my, because I am so obsessed with pop culture. Um, the 1989 film with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, you know, came like just oh. as I was. Um, How many times did we see that in the theater? Well, let's talk about how many times we've seen it since. <laughs> I mean, okay, so me, me and John had, had a, have a game where we watched that, that movie and we literally simultaneously quote every single line in real time. Um, an ex of mine uh, found it endearing. Um, I don't think anybody else did, though. I don't know why she found it endearing, because I'm sure it was annoying as shit when we would do that. But we, we would do that, uh, you know, before you were sober. We would do that drunk. We would do that high. We would do that, you know, all the time. Just It, it was like a, it was a strange comfort thing. It was like a way for us to, like, throw back and reconnect in our friendship, um, it, which, is, which sounds really sweet, no matter how stupid and, and nerdy it was. Who is the best Batman? Michael oh, Keaton. Keaton. Okay, <laughs> I'm in good company. I'm in good company. If I said Clooney, you know, he wouldn't even stab me. Okay, because <laughs> I'd stab myself. Yeah, he's the only Batman. Yeah, only Batman. I agree. And he's back, so that's even right. Better. I can't fucking wait. Um, yeah, yeah. I probably don't have a deep answer about uh, Batman. It's, it is it it is like um, something I've embraced about myself is uh, quite a few of the interests that to me are dark and like highlight the darkness of my personality are really pretty superficial and silly. Sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, at the core, let's, let's, let's examine Batman as, 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 as a character. He's severely damaged. He wears a literal mask. He hides in the darkness and he's able to exact his vengeance for his shitty life upon people without any consequences. Those are super powerful things, especially for somebody growing up uh, unembraced by the culture that they're growing up in. 
Yeah, the way you described it like that is almost like Dostoevskian. Yeah, I mean, but it's it, none of what I said is an, is an exaggeration. On, I, on I think character. comic book characters are great literary figures. I, I finally understood watching the last uh, Doctor Strange movie. It just movie. It just hit me like, okay, I get that a lot of people are really over this. Yeah, <laughs> and I always I. I <coughs> I really. I, I find my. I often find myself defending things that I like, that um, are actually like massively popular. <laughs> and so I guess what I'm really defending is that I like them. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I, I um, would like to go on and do a, a a PhD sometime in the next like four or five years, and I would like to write a PhD on uh, comic book characters as major mythic. Figures. I mean, they all, not all, but like, I mean, you know, the, the Joseph Campbell story arc of, you know, heroism and mythology, like it's, it's followed by all of those, uh, you know, those comic book characters, you know, almost all of them follow that, that, that path of, of self-discovery and overcoming themselves. And it's, it, it, there's a reason why that's so enthralling as a reader or a watcher is, you know, we, that's this. That's the arc we want to see in our own lives. That's it's 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 powerful and self-empowering, and um, you know the, why wouldn't people be attracted to that? Bill Maher had this whole uh, routine on his show about how the advent of comic book movies corresponds with the whole Trump MAGA phenomenon, and he blamed one on the other. That is also <laughs> not true and, based uh, on any of the timing on that. But yeah, it okay. was well, I mean. Uh, yeah, it was all about the intellectual dumbing down of society and, you know, because right. he's such a great intellectual, Bill Maher. Um, but, you know, I thought about Stan Lee and so many of those, that early Marvel shit, and it's very progressive, very all about inclusion. And um, I look at the effect of the Black Panther, which had a major cultural effect. And uh, the Eternals had the first gay superhero. I don't think there's been a, well, gay, he, a he, gay main character in any action movie other than... He talked openly about the fact, uh, Lee, that, uh, that his characters were social commentary against things that he thought were not okay about society. And, you know, that's, that's where those characters came from. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess you could complain that it's been co-opted by capitalism. Oh, no, you Every, could absolutely make everything that is Everything is, eventually. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that would be certainly justified. But, hey, worse things uh, have been embraced by popular culture. Um, okay, so I have, I have two more points in my head that I want to jump to. Um, first one is your sobriety. And um, I think it's, you know, listeners might really learn something or reflect, see something in themselves of, of, of your journey there. Um, I'm not asking you to tell me the entirety of the story, but what was your journey to sobriety or to where you are at now in your sobriety? Wow. Because um, you did talk about the accident briefly, but um, I, I figured we should, we should dive into that because Honestly, it's a huge it's a huge part of the book, and, and we got books to sell, Johnny. It's it's a huge, it's a huge <laughs> part of who you are. So, um, 
Uh, yeah, the book Jesus Died for All Spiders, a memoir of faith, excess weirdness, and redemption has uh, insane bouts of uh, uh, almost lethal drinking and, um, yeah, uh, vodka swallowing, cum swallowing, a lot of bad falls. Um, I had a real problem with falling down for a while. You did. Um, I... Well, for a long time, my excessive drinking, I like pinned it on the whole family thing with the um, coming out of the closet and all of that. So you, you, you drank because but, you were not accepted by your family? Um, Is that what you're saying? That was my, uh, well, I didn't start drinking until, all, I, didn't, I didn't party or drink or anything in high school or like. Um, until you met me. My, uh, uh, well, there's a lot of different stories, but. In my 12-step recovery groups, quite a lot of people feel like it's passed on generation to generation. Quite a few people started like, you know, eight, nine. I didn't start drinking until after high school. Um, but after a while, I realized that um, trying to uh, define it as situational heavy drinking kind of stops working after 30 years of doing that. Fair. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm an alcoholic. I, I, I drink, um, I haven't had a drink, as I said, in three years, but when I drink, I drink everything. Um, and the, the, the pattern that people talk about with alcoholics, like I'll, I would start with, um, you know, I was just sharing this the other day, uh, like mi several years into my drinking, oh, I'm gonna have a bottle of wine and watch the Golden Girls. I have the day off of work. I drink that bottle of wine and think like, I could have another bottle of wine, but I tend to black out when I have too much wine too quickly. So I'll go to the store and get some vodka. So <laughs> go across the street and get a whole bunch of airplane bottles of vodka because they're small. Yeah. Um, and then cut to being thrown out of the bar and cut to five days later, bloated, dehydrated, looking like shit on the floor covered in bottles of vodka um, with my now husband looking at me like, what the fuck? Um, but so many of the things I've been trying to reconcile, I just couldn't quite do it. And so I just kept going back to the booze for years. Um, around 2008, I made my first real attempt at sobriety. Um, I had, uh, uh, overcome a lot of my difficulties. I'd gone to school, I'd gotten a degree, I'd gotten in a serious relationship. I was living here in Long Beach and had a job and a car and a house and I drank them all away and decided I'm gonna to try to go to a meeting. Um, but uh, how, after my first relapse, I spent about 11 years just on and off, on and off the wagon because I just still really liked it. I still really liked partying and getting drunk. Right. And then in 2017, after I had been, um, I was finally sober for two years and I relapsed, um, I got in a convertible with a few friends and some people I didn't know, nobody was wearing seatbelts and they, the guy driving was drunk and on drugs and he sped up on, you know, the 178 
uh, is a, a freeway down where we're from, and got cut off by somebody else on the freeway and tried to overcorrect. The car flew in the air. We all were ejected from the car, landed on the side of the freeway in the brush. Um, the car smashed and was totaled and uh, came to in the hospital with a very fucked up face, um, held back by a neck brace. By the way, the picture is in the book. Yeah, the picture of my face uh, when of that your, happens is in of the book. Your, your deliciously mangled fucking face. <laughs> um, and uh, By the way, he's beautiful now. He's just, for a while there, not so much. Well, I do have some <laughs> nerve damage on one eyebrow. So my eyebrow is permanently cocked. So I'm a, I just thought you were doing I'm that. A, I'm a permanent asshole. I thought you were just doing the Michael <laughs> Keaton thing. Yeah, no, I just want to eyebrow. And you're just judging me. You know, what, yeah, one of my one of my students said, "Why do you always look at us like that?" And I said, "That's my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my face now." Um, but really, like the things I hadn't been willing to do for my sobriety, I did then. Um, like forgave everybody. I needed to forgive, yeah. and decided to try to live my life without resentment. That's tough, man. I don't know how, I, I don't know that I could ever cross that bridge. That's, that deserves respect. Well, you have to, that was my bottom. And yeah. it's true what they say, you have to hit bottom. And it's something uh, like, um, I mean, people I'm sure know what I say when I say uh, uh, meetings, but I won't, I won't say the name of the organization. Um, but however you work on your sobriety, um, I, this is true for me anyway, you have to keep working on it. Like, there is an alcoholic in me right. that will never go away. You, 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 you are Bruce Banner. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big green gay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, could you have written the book had you not gotten sober? Do you think this book ever would have happened? Uh... Well, in the process of writing the book, I had a couple of slips. Okay. <laughs> I had to come back to it. Um, but that probably gave you some added fuel yeah. to, to, to work with, <laughs> I'm assuming? No, I don't think so. No? No. Did it, det did it detract from the, the goal? Did it detract from the focus in, in, a, in a way that hurt? Oh, no, as I know, I don't, think I, could have written the, I don't think I could have written the book without getting oh, sober. I understand. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Um, how, how long did the book from start to finish to write it, how long did it take? It was like three or four years. And there was, um, it's a, uh, writing a book is a bitch. I don't doubt that, that's why I was asking. <laughs> I'm sure it's a pain in the ass. There were, whole, there were whole chapters where, you know, I had it all done and I looked at it and went, none of that works. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's uh, the, 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 the Style is kind of experimental in a way. Like I weave in and out of different genres, and I have a lot of poetry in there. And mm -hmm. um, but it, it it all hangs together. I think. I love your poetry, and the the, the pieces in this in, in your book definitely reminded me of how much I love your writing. Uh, the, the poetry as, aspect as well. Um, don't worry, it's it's not mostly poetry. If you you're not into that but I think that it's fascinating to see uh, to read the poems in the context that they're included um, because they add something to the conversation in a way that just another paragraph wouldn't uh, it allows you some some room to float in the moment and float in the idea in a different way um, 
So the, the, the last question that I, I had on my mental roster uh, of things to ask you is, um, what, if anything, do you want readers to get out of this book? If you had a perfect scenario and somebody who read your book came up to you and said, I read it and this is what I got out of it, what does that conversation sound like? Well, I mentioned earlier that in the preface, I talk about this is a book uh, about learning to celebrate one's own brand of weirdness. Um, so um, yeah, so it's not about people relating to me being gay or um, like hopefully I'm irreverent and sacrilegious enough on the, <laughs> the, the, the Christian stuff that's not off-putting. Um, but um, to just be encouraged to be yourself. Um, Maybe that's kind of Pat, but that's that's what, that's what I get from it. Are you talking um, like like Pat from Saturday Night Live? <laughs> yeah. no. We can't. No, Pat's canceled. <laughs> if you haven't heard, um, yeah. No, canceled. I mean, I would I would love if some young gay queer trans kid who has an attraction to Christ but is uh, uh, browbeaten by the church would like find a path. And I would love if people trying to get over a drinking problem, like, uh, respond to those aspects of it. Um, but I, you know, I think it's well written. And it's really about learning to bring all the parts of me together and to have some integrity. To, to add one last pop culture reference to the conversation, you are a Frankenstein monster of concepts and ideas and fascinations and aspects um, that I've watched you play both Monster and Frankenstein, stitching yourself together into one cobbled person your entire life. And I think that this book gives a wonderfully written explanation of how you were able to accomplish the person that you are now. I'm a faggot Frankenstein for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the taglines. <laughs> Johnny, thank you for coming down and doing this podcast with us today. Love you, man. I love you, too. Uh, the book is on Barnes Noble, Amazon. Um, Again, it's called Jesus Died for All Spiders. A Memoir of Faith, Excess, Weirdness, and Redemption just by look, Johnny D. Just look for that sick-ass cover. <laughs> <laughs> I really look forward to reading it, and um, and yeah. it's um, it's not terribly long, and I'm not a reader, so I'll probably actually get through it. Yeah, we will have it available here at the Dark Art Emporium, um, hopefully shortly after this uh, gets released. So if you come by, um, we'll we'll have it for sale. Yeah, uh, we can throw here. it up on the website too. So yep. if you're listening elsewhere, we can ship it to you. Yep. If you don't want to support that terrible, terrible Amazon and support small businesses, and I'm gonna make and I'm gonna make Johnny um, draw draw bat dicks in every one of them <laughs> so that they're personalized for you. Spider dicks. Spider dicks. Spider dicks. <laughs> I was still on the bat thing. <laughs> All right, I love you, man. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. All right, thanks for listening to Art Pits. You fuckers have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye bye.